God be praised. Hallelujah means God be praised. We have a lot to be thankful for this morning. I'm so thankful to be with you today to open up God's word. My name is Ryan Brown. I have the pleasure of serving here at Graceland as our ministries pastor. And I would love to open us up in a word of prayer before we dive into God's word this morning. Would you bow with me, please? God in heaven, you are worthy of our praise. You're worthy to be praised. You're sovereign, you're holy, you're perfect, and you love us, sinful, broken people. You loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to this earth to die on a cross for us. And you loved us so much that you raised him three days later for our reward. And so today, God, I pray that you would move in this place, that you would speak to us. I'm so thankful for our worship team and how they bring us to your throne and prepare our hearts to hear the preaching of your word. And we know that your word draws people to yourself. So this morning, I pray that men and women would be drawn to you. Boys and girls would be drawn to you and draw to your son, Jesus. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. So I have grown up in the church. I'm thankful I'm grateful to say that my 37 years on this earth, I've spent a lot of time in the church. I've been consistently here on Sundays. And one of the very best things about the church, and I think also one of the hardest things about the church, are the relationships that exist in the church. You form relationships, whether those are by accident or intentional, and you invest in those relationships, and Lord willing, they grow, but sometimes... They're sabotaged and they fall apart. Relationships are so important in the church. I'd love to tell you about a few of the relationships that I've had in church in my life. I'm not going to use any names, and so if you're getting a little bit nervous right now because we have a pretty close relationship, I'm not going to share your name or anything about our relationships so you can sit back and take a breath. But one particular relationship that I think of is one I had as a boy coming to church. Me and this other boy, we would spend a lot of time together in the church. We had a lot of similar interests. We liked sports, and so we would do a lot of stuff in elementary school in the church. But I I would see him outside of the church. He lived up in the knobs. I lived down in the city, and we really didn't talk much outside of church. So I guess you could say that our relationship was just a church relationship. We saw each other on Sundays, and we talked on Sundays. As I got into middle school, um, I had this high school friend. He was older than me. He was super cool, you know, one of those guys. Just really cool, and he liked spending time with me. I felt like he was a mentor to me. He poured into me. We talked about God's word. And then he and his family left the church, and our relationship was completely broken. I didn't see him anymore. And I really felt betrayed and abandoned because our relationship had ended so abruptly. As I got a little bit older, got married, uh, we moved to Nashville, Tennessee, my wife and I, and we got plugged into a church there. And God really worked in the relationships in my life at this point. One particular relationship was with a guy who was about my age. He was a pastor at the church, and we just connected immediately. Our relationship was very robust. Inside the church on Sundays, we talked about the things of God, but man, our relationship went way beyond that. We would get together outside of 
Sundays. We would talk regularly, ask each other how we were doing, spending time in God's Word, how our prayer life was doing. Later, I would feel called to ministry. He was one of those guys that I immediately went to to ask him, hey, do you think I'm called to this? Do you think I'm equipped to lead in ministry? And he affirmed that in me so much so that he knew that he would have to lose me and I would have to leave. But we still have a very real relationship, a very brotherhood because of our relationships with Jesus. What is your view of relationships in the church? Can you relate to some of the examples I just gave? For some of you, you may think, man, I only have church friends. I see people on Sunday, and then my life outside of Sunday is completely different than what my life looks like in the church. For some of you, you think, man, only my relationships in the church have brought me heartache. I've built relationships, I've poured into relationships, and it always just ends up being sabotaged, or something happens and it's broken, it leaves me left feeling broken and alone. But for some of you, you think, man, I've been saved because of the relationships I've had in church. When my mother was diagnosed with cancer, my church friends were there. When I went through a tough breakup, it was my friends at church who were there. When we had that baby girl after waiting for so long, it was our church that was there. It was those relationships that built me up and encouraged me. If you've been in church a while, then you can probably relate to, if not all, then most of the examples that I've shared. But if you're new to this whole church thing, maybe you've just started coming, then I'll let you in on a little bit of a secret and tell you this up front. Church is all about relationships. It's all about relationships. And just like relationships outside of church and at work and your family relationships, church relationships are hard. They're very hard. They're messy. You want to know why? Because we're sinful people and we're broken and we're messed up. And so if you want to have perfect relationships in this, inside the church, then don't come because you're bringing imperfectness to it and we're imperfect here. And there's going to be pain. It's going to be hard ache. But I believe that anything that's worth fighting for, anything that's going to help you grow, that has great purpose, there's going to be some pain associated with that. But I believe that biblical, healthy church relationships are incredibly life-giving. And I believe that biblical, healthy church relationships Those people in those relationships, they'll be there for you in the darkest of times and they'll be there with you to celebrate in the the brightest times. Real relationships in the church. That's what we're going to talk about today. But I have some questions for us. First of all, do you have them? Do you have them? Next, if you do, what do they look like? Are they for your benefit alone? Are they just for the benefit of others? Or is it a mutual benefit there? And then finally, what do biblical relationships in the church look like? What are some characteristics of Christian relationships in the church? And how can your relationships look more and more like that? To answer these questions, I'd love for you to open up your Bible with me to Philippians. And we're going to be in chapter 1. Our primary verse this morning is going to be verse 27. And from this verse, I want to share with us 
three characteristics of unified, healthy relationships in the church. Three characteristics of unified, healthy relationships in the church. But I just want to kind of preface it with this. When I thought about preaching on on what this looks like, relationships in the church, I found it to be very a daunting task for me. I've got 25 to 30 minutes to share with you what relationships in the church look like. And if you're familiar with your Bible at all, then you know that the New Testament, especially Paul's writings, it's pretty much all about relationships in the church and what those look like. So how, how do I cover all of these things? Well, let me just tell you, this is not an exhaustive list of what biblical relationships in the church should look like, but I do think that it's a glimpse into what they should look like. So with that, with that understanding, I love to read this verse together in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. It's going to be our primary verse this morning. It says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now before we jump into those three characteristics, those three attributes, I want to set a foundation and give a little bit of context to where we are. I think anytime you read God's word, anytime God's word is preached, we should understand the context of what's happening. So this letter, it's a letter written by a man named Paul. He was an apostle, a great missionary, and he would go and set up churches Um, in different cities and one of the churches that he set up was in the city of Philippi and he would write back to that church this letter as he gets here to verse 27 he starts off the verse by saying only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ now this doesn't mean that we should try to live our lives in such a way that we deserve the gospel. It doesn't mean that we could ever become valuable enough as a person as to merit the gospel. And it doesn't mean that we could get enough worth in our lives so that God would reward us with the gospel. If that's not it, then, then what does he mean? Well, I think it's actually the exact opposite or the reverse. It means this, and listen into this, this is really important. You should live, we should live, our relationship should be in such a way as to call attention to the infinite worth of the gospel. Living worthy of the gospel means living the way you would live if the gospel had infinite worth to you. That's a big thing to say. And then I think Paul goes on in the rest of this verse and he kind of unpacks that. What does it look like to live a life worthy of the gospel? What does it look like to have relationships in the church that are worthy of the gospel? And that's what I wanna talk about. So here are three characteristics of unified, healthy relationships in the church. If you have your app, those are on there for you to fill in and take some notes. Um, If you also have the listening guide, I'd love for you to, to do that and fill those out with me. But here's the first. They're to be public. First characteristic of a unified, healthy relationship in the church is to be public. Dr. Tom Schreiner, he's a professor over at Southern Seminary, one of my favorite professors. He suggests that this verse in chapter 1 and verse 27 is the primary reason why why Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. And I would agree with him. So if you want to underline that, if if you're okay with writing in your Bible, which I love writing in my Bible, you can underline that and say this is the reason he wrote the letter. 
And in that, he kind of unpacks two primary themes of the letter. And I think that as you look across all four chapters of this letter, there are two primary themes. One is joy, and the joy that comes in a relationship with Christ. And the other is the unity that he wants to see, he wants us to have as believers in the church. How we need to partner for the sake of of the gospels. So joy and unity. And that partnership, that that joy, that unity together in our relationships should be made public. They should be made public. Paul says he hopes to hear of you. And the you here in this context is plural. And when he says he hopes to hear of you, again the church as a whole at Philippi, he says that that hope that those church members would be in one spirit. One spirit. Now, I don't think that Paul here is saying that everything about your relationships should be made public, okay? There are a few of you, I guarantee there are a few of you in this place, in this worship center that overshare, okay? I'm not talking about posting everything that you eat on social media, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, though, the important things about our relationships, the joy in our relationships, the unity in our relationships. I think that God does suggest or Paul does suggest, I would suggest that there are some things we need to hold in confidence and we need to use discretion in our relationship. But if you look back to verse 12 and all of the verses leading up here to verse uh, 27 in this point, at this point, Paul is going to talk about some suffering. He's going to talk about some persecution that he has had as a Christian and because he has shared Jesus with others but in that look with me at verse 18 he says yes still I will rejoice and he goes on in verse 21 which is one of the most famous verses in all of the book of Philippians he goes on in verse 21 to say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain he's saying he rejoices in Christ so much his private relationship with Christ is so great that he would rather die when he says to die is gain he'd rather go to be with Jesus because of all the joy that he has in Jesus but as Paul moves further on he chooses to stay with the earth to stay on the earth to stay with other believers so that he could make his private relationship public to make it public you see the problem so often i'll find many christians who say they have joy in christ but that joy is only private you never see it they're upset all the time you don't see any public relationships (coughs) excuse me and the problem here is is that god did not intend us to keep our joy with him private just private you know he doesn't want it to be invisible to the world He wants it to be manifested some way. So when Paul says to live is Christ in verse 21, he's saying rather than going to be with the Lord right now, he's going to stay and show, show his love for his fellow believers in Christ. God does not just want to be enjoyed privately in the hearts of Christians where only he can see. God also wants to be enjoyed openly in the world where all can see. Of course, God loves what he sees in our hearts. And that really, really matters. But God did not create the world in order to be glorified in only a way that he can see. I believe that an unhealthy, divided relationship in the church will push other believers away from the church. 
And I believe that a healthy, unified relationship in the church that's made public will encourage other believers in the church. An unhealthy, divided relationship in the church that's made public will keep unbelievers away from the church. And a healthy, unified relationship in the church that's made public outside of these walls will draw unbelievers into the church. Now, it's easy for me to preach on this. It's, also, it's something, though, that I struggle with. And I think it really is a false humility in that I do that. I tend to be a very private person. But I feel convicted regularly that I need to make public the things that God is doing in my life and in the relationships with other believers to bring glory to God so that believers and unbelievers alike would see it. So I think that that's the first attribute we see here, that relationships in the church should look like they should be public. But as we move forward, I see that they're also to be protective. They're to be protective. Look back with me at verse 27. Paul encourages the the Christians in Philippi to stand firm in one spirit. To stand firm in one spirit. Again, remember, I just said a moment ago that Paul is being persecuted. If you jump back to Acts chapter 16, it's there that you'll see the origination of the church in Philippi. It's there that we meet Lydia. It's there that we meet the slave girl. And Paul and Silas, they come alongside of this slave girl. And the masters of this slave girl get really upset because of what they're doing. So they beat Paul and Silas and their, and their fellow brothers in Christ, and they throw them into prison. Okay? Then while in prison, they're all together. They begin to sing hymns. God brings an earthquake. The prison doors open up. And so here, Paul is telling them to stand firm in one's spirit because they would have heard about that. Look with me at verse 28 and following. It says, don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. And then go down to verse 30 and it says that you're engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So he's talking about this persecution. He's talking about this suffering that he's had, but he's telling them that they need to stand firm in one spirit. They need to band together and protect one another. They need to be resolute. They need to be bold. They need to be brave. Let me ask you this question. Do your relationships in the church look like this? Are you protective of people in the church? Do you protect people? And here's the deal. This is not an easy thing to do because in order to protect someone, you have to be in close relationship with them. You must be in close community. Uh, Several years ago, my wife and I, we took a trip out to California and it was there that, that Jenny grew up. She spent like the first five or six years of her life in California in the Sacramento area. Her dad also uh, grew up in that area. So we're going back to visit family and do some cool things. And we go down to the Redwoods. Anyone been to the Redwoods? Okay, we got some hands up. If you've been to the Redwoods, then you know that it is an amazing sight. You have these sequoia trees that, I mean, they're huge. The trunks are just amazingly big. And they grow straight up into the heavens, into the skies. It's a beautiful sight. But I love the redwoods because of of how they grow together. Oftentimes when you think about trees, you think that strong, sturdy trees have really deep roots, like an oak tree, right? Oak trees have really strong, deep roots, and they grow everywhere. But what happens when they do that is that oak trees grow alone because they take up 
all the ground, right? Redwoods have very shallow and small roots. And you want to know why? Because they actually intertwine their roots with other redwoods. And so their strength to be able to grow so high comes because they're surrounded by other redwoods. So a redwood can't grow alone. It has to grow together. And here's the cool thing. Because they grow into community, they're able to protect one another when the trials come. When the winds come, it won't knock them down because they're there together. And I think that this is a a wonderful picture of what it looks like to be in Christian community and to protect one another. Throughout this verse and this passage, the readers of this would understand this idea of being soldiers working together in battle. And they would understand that when you're in the battle, you stay together. You don't break rank and just flee, but rather you have this 360 degree type of protection that works together. Um, I, I would imagine in Paul's time, you've probably seen this as well, but they had Roman legions, and that what they would do is they would take their shields and put it down on the ground, and then they would have this wall of shields all together, and then the guys behind them would take their shields and put their shields up on the top and then have this roof. Um, and, but the only way that this worked is if they were all together, fighting together, being protective of one another. Do you have this type of relationship in the church? Do you protect other people? Do you have people at your back in a 360 degree type of protection because you're in community? One thing I love too is with that battle, whenever the enemy would come, they would draw tighter and tighter and closer and closer together to make sure that no one could get in and break up the ranks. So we should be protective. We should be protective. But but we should not keep people out, which leads me to my final attribute we see here. And the last one is that healthy, united relationships in the church should be purposeful. They should be purposeful. So how can our relationships be worthy of the gospel? We said that they can be public. Paul says he hopes to hear of them, that they're united in one spirit Second, there to be protective. We should stand firm together in one spirit. And finally, they should be purposeful. He goes on to say that with one mind, we should do what? We should strive side by side. We should strive side by side. First, I want you to notice the word striving there. There's an implication that if we strive for something, that it's not going to be easy. It's gonna be really, really hard. We've got to strive side by side, and it's going to be hard work. Let me tell you, real relationships, if you want a healthy, united relationship in the church, it's going to get messy, and it's going to get hard. You must strive for something. But notice with me, it's also side by side. I love this picture because it signifies a couple of things. One thing it signifies when you're side by side is that you're facing the same direction. You're facing the same direction. Any of you, I'm sure you younger kids haven't done this because it's not allowed anymore, but any of you adults in here ever, ever played Red Rover? You guys remember Red Rover? Okay, you would say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Jenny over. 
right? And so for you youngins, because we can't do this anymore because we'll get in trouble if we play Red Rover at church. But we would stand side by side and you would hold hands and you would yell that. You say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Jenny over. And so Jenny would be on the other side of the field, let go of her line and run over as fast as they can and try to break through one of the hands that were holding on. If she breaks through, then she gets to take someone from that um, side and go back to her side. But if she doesn't break through, then she has to join that side. And I just love this picture of looking out into a field, and it reminds me of my childhood, of looking out into this field and knowing exactly who's on your side because you're all facing the same direction side by side. When we walk side by side, when we strive side by side, we're going the same way. This signifies cooperation, collaboration, alignment. And I think here that Paul wants them to strive side by side for alignment. He wants them, he wants their relationships to be on purpose and for a purpose. And what is that purpose? How can our relationships be purposeful? Well, jump back with me to verse 27. It's clearly stated here when it says that we should strive side by side, what? For the faith of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. That is the purpose of our relationships in the church. Our relationships in church should point people to Jesus. Our relationships in church should help people who are far away from Jesus come to know Jesus. Our relationships in the church should be so strong and so healthy and so united that others in the church would be drawn closer and closer, would grow in Jesus, would be sanctified in Jesus to look more like Jesus. Are your relationships in the church purposeful? Are they purposeful for that purpose? We've seen a lot of lives transformed here recently. I've been, been, been a part of being able to see some of those things. And um, just a couple of months ago, there was a young man named Jacob Bratcher. I asked if I could use his name. He's like, yeah, sure, tell everyone about it. Um, many, of, many of our college-age students are aware of Jacob and the transformation he's had in his life. And God used relationships in the church to draw Jacob to Jesus. He saw what biblical and healthy relationships look like from people that he worked with, from people that were in the church, from our youth minister, from other people in the college age ministry. Would your relationships with other people, would they see Christ in those relationships so much so that they would want to be drawn to Jesus? There's another gentleman who was just baptized a couple of weeks ago. And I promise you, he is seeing relationships in the church and he's drawn to the church. He's drawn to Jesus because of how others are interacting in the church. Friends, this is what healthy and united relationships in the church will do. They will bring people to Jesus. But that brings me back to the questions that I started with earlier. What is your view of your relationships in the church? Make this very personal. Think about the close relationships that you have in the church. Do you even have close relationships in the church? What are they there for? Are you making those things public? Are you there to protect one another? And are you there for a purpose? And if not, what can you do differently? What can you do differently? Well, I want to offer as our time 
comes to a close, I want to offer some very practical things that you can do. Some things that you can do today and this week to work on your relationships in the church. And first of all, I want to talk to those people who, who really don't have relationships in the church. In fact, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus at all and you're here just trying to figure this stuff out. Well, I would say that the first thing you have to do in order to have any type of healthy and united relationships in the church that are based on Jesus is to first have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus died on a cross. He went to a grave. He was raised from a grave to break the power of sin and he wants you to join in relationship with him. So maybe the first step for you is just to step across that line of faith and enter into a relationship with him. And from there, you can begin to develop healthy and united relationships. But if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I want to give you three things that you can do. Three things that you can do this week. And the first one is this, to evaluate your relationships in the church. Evaluate your relationships in the church. Now, I'm not saying that every relationship that you have in the church needs to be this type of relationship, but you should have some, and you should seek to have more. Are your relationships in the church only surface level? Are they only a a church relationship like I had with my friend growing up? Or are they real? Now, if they're real, I want you to evaluate the realness of it by asking, is this relationship something I only receive from? I only get from this relationship? Or is this relationship only something that I give to? I'm only giving out. Or is this a mutually beneficial relationship? Because I believe that they should be mutually beneficial. And then finally, if they're like this, then I would say you have a healthy and unified relationship. And how can you lean into one of, at least one of the three attributes that I mentioned this morning? How can you make that relationship, if it's healthy and unified, public? How can you be more protective in that relationship? Be there for your friends here in the church. And then how can you make that relationship more purposeful, pointing people to Jesus, talking about the things that God's doing in that relationship? If so, these are next level church relationships. These are biblical, healthy, unified relationships. So that's the first thing evaluate sometime this week the second thing is this if you have real relationships in the church then I would ask that you would be more and more intentional in those relationships let me tell you you don't just fall into healthy relationships if you're married in this place you don't just fall into a healthy marriage relationship it needs to be intentional and it needs to be sacrificial and that's the third thing It needs to be sacrificial. Loving others in the church can only happen if it's rooted in the gospel. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most sacrificial thing we've seen in all of history. So is your relationships, are your relationships in the church sacrificial? Let me tell you this, friends. Selfless solidarity can only be rooted in the gospel. Public joy is only rooted in in the gospel protective care must be rooted in the gospel and purposeful relationships are to be rooted in the gospel of jesus christ if we have relationships like this at graceland which i think we do i think they're abounding in this place if we have relationships like this real relationships that are purposeful that are protective and that are public then I believe that God will continue to do mighty things in our community I believe that more and more people will come to salvation in Jesus Christ I believe that more and more people will be 
baptized right here in this church. I believe that more and more groups will be formed in our church. I believe that more and more disciple makers will be raised up and released in our church. And I believe that we will launch more and more campuses because we believe that we have the gospel of Jesus Christ to take to people and set up beacons of hope. And it's gonna happen based upon our relationships. It's gonna happen based upon our relationships. I recognize that I am not good en- a good enough preacher to draw a lot of people to know Jesus, okay? Even though God uses my weaknesses for his glory. Nate might be good enough, but you know what I mean? I, I'm not quite there. Um, but we, we've gotta lean in to our relationships. And God is gonna use those relationships to draw people into relationship with him. Are you ready to commit to it? Are you ready to get into the weeds and get messy because relationships are hard, but real relationships in the church are so worth it?